Schizotopia. As always, I'm your guest, Maxwell Cody, and joining me once again for the epic conclusion of um, Is Schizo the New Blank? Um, Dorian Zebel, aka the Dank One himself, Dank Deleuze. Dorian, how are you? Ahoy, hoy. Uh, man, I'm doing all right. We, we got... <laughs> that's, that's better than well, that's better than terrible, which is when we started when we started this little sub-series, you were terrible, and now you've, you've graduated to all right. Yeah, all right is the new terrible. Um, no, but uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm acclimating. You know, I'm numbing out. I'm getting used to it. Uh, we are in the middle of a historic blizzard. You and I are both in the Midwest right now. In in inside the the freeze point, the chill zone um, of a historic blizzard. And it's funny. My entire life, my entire life, my dad told me. Because my dad grew up in in Michigan. My my dad always told me. Um, around every Christmas when I would complain and say, I wish it snowed for Christmas. I wish it snowed for Christmas. He'd say, you have no idea what it's like. You have no idea what it's like to live through a, a Michigan winter. And I always thought that was funny um, because, I don't know, when I got a little bit older and I finally was able to experience snow a couple times, yes, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah, I mean, everyone out here, uh, when they find out that I'm from California. Uh, That's they... what they want to talk about. Exactly, and they all spaz about how how cold I'm going to be and everything. And yeah, you know, frankly, this isn't so bad. It's not so bad. So yeah, yeah, so this is this is me getting real smug. But what's funny to me is these people have never had to live through a wildfire season. They've never right, had. To, exactly. They've never had. I grew up in SoCal with wildfires, and my neighborhood, half my neighborhood, burned down twice, and we just got lucky that our house didn't burn. Um, <laughs> and they they don't know what it's like to have firefighters come and. Uh, come into your house, come into your property, and tell you to get the fuck out. Um, yeah, which they have. Which they have right real to bad. Do. Leave your home. <laughs> yeah, there's a fire coming. Uh, you know, whatever you can fit in your car in the next ten minutes, and then get the fuck out of here. Um, and then you just have to go sit and wait somewhere <laughs> and hope that your house doesn't burn to the ground after you've hosed the roof down. Right. Um, I've looked right. at earthquakes. Uh, you know, some really some really heavy ones when I was a kid. Uh, actually, the biggest earthquakes I ever experienced. It's funny. I experienced them as a kid. So as a result um they were fun to me at the time whereas now if they happen i'd probably <laughs> cry um and and so when like midwesterners uh and other snow folks i guess i'll call them when they always want to talk about the winter i always feel like that's because it's just kind of boring out here and the right. snow is the most traumatizing thing that's ever happened to you um but i have to admit being in it's almost like the historic blizzard waited for me 
specifically because this is my first ever white Christmas where it was actually snowing outside on Same. Christmas. I finally got my childhood wish of a white Christmas. Um, and it is it, it is pretty fucking cold. Um, it and is. It's, it's different because I guess instead of a fire, you know, which wildfires can only last for three or four days, uh, usually, um, you know, instead you get, you get snowed in and you really can't do much. And so I guess the, the the cabin fever starts to set in, and that's really where the um, the insanity begins. Yeah, a uh, a weather event that forces you to um, engage more closely with your family is itself probably an interesting kind of curse for Midwesterners. <laughs> would explain a lot about them. It would explain a lot about them. Yeah, well, um, that's that's why I always think Midwesterners are so like polite slash fake polite because they uh, they realize they keep the shining from coming out. Exactly. Yeah, I, I might, <laughs> I might get stuck in a building with you eventually. So, <laughs> um, you know, talking about the weather is the most normy thing you could possibly do. And guess what, Dorian? <laughs> what? What, Max? That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Is schizo oh. the new normie? This is the final chapter of this little subseries that I've got in me. Um, <laughs> I think we've covered. <laughs> I think we've covered all of our basic bases. Um, but that's, that's, what's been on my mind. That's what's been bothering me. That's kind of the best way I could sum up the last three episodes on the subject that we've done. Um, and the thing is, is that I actually have some practical examples uh, of is schizo the new blank. Um, and the first one I want to talk about this is kind of funny. I got a message from a fellow podcaster. Um, and I am not going to say her name, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I got a message from a fellow podcaster uh, asking me about my relationship to a certain artist who has been on my podcast a couple times. I'm also not going to say his name, but the gist of it was is that because he had made some weird naked child mannequin art, oh, right, um, with like dicks sticking out of their face or something, uh, they were tying this into um, whatever the company is, Bonciaga, Epstein, kind of QAnon conspiracy theory, um, and I, I, I looked at this woman's page and i looked at her personal page and i saw that she's a former reality tv star that um was, and he's now her side hustle i guess the new essential oils i guess is starting conspiracy podcasts um and yeah. so now she has this conspiracy podcast and it's funny you and me i believe both got accused of being part of pastel QAnon. do you remember that one schizo oh yeah yeah, yeah, there was that girl who was accusing us of being in Pastel QAnon. But then this <laughs> woman who is actually in Pastel QAnon has Kevin Bacon me into uh, a, a, a QAnon-style conspiracy. Um, so I've come <laughs> double full circle. I've come double full circle. And at the same time, just like th this whole interaction I have with this person, I'm like, wow, Schizo really is the new girl boss. You go from being like a pretty influencer reality tv star to being like well time to start my conspiracy podcast and then that becomes your thing that's the new essential oils that's the new magic crystals or whatever the fuck that's what's what, what it's going to be now um and so that was whatever that was a fun real life irl example or i guess not irl because it's all what's the difference anymore but that that was just an example very explicit example of is schizo uh the new girl boss uh to me yeah no that's that's really beautiful I, I don't even know what to what to say about it <laughs> like it's just no I, 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 I love the pastel QAnon stuff so much just to start with uh and uh and the the, the girl bossing your way into Q stuff is just it's just beautiful it's 
I, I feel like, uh, despite not being a Q person myself, I mean, I'm Q, I'm just not a Q person. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but just the, I, I want to see more of it. I want to see more weird essential oil girl bosses, uh, who are just embracing just insane conspiracies. I think that's the, the funniest kind of lady. Um, it's I, happening. Uh, and now I'm going to yeah. get, I'm now I'm going to get Q canceled apparently. Cause you know, I've been, you know, obviously I've been getting my, my adrenochrome from the people across the pond and <laughs> she's, she's going to blow this case wide open. All right. Example number two, example number two, I still cannot believe that this is real. Um, someone sent me this article the other day. White nationalism is spreading among the Orthodox even after Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh shooting, of course. And the, the article the Orthodox what? Yes, the Orthodox uh, Jews. Uh, oh, what? Uh, Torah enthusiasts. And the the gist of the article, the gist of the article is that Orthodox Jews just aren't getting in line with the anti-Trump liberal stuff. Um, and it's just funny to me because who would have thought that people who practice a 4,000 plus year old religion um, turned out to be a little bit conservative and maybe <laughs> don't really care about, you know, it's funny because this is what I mean by schizosemitism. It's like normally Jews are called subversive or they're blamed for liberalism or all these things like that. But then now you have liberal Jews blaming the Orthodox Jews for being not liberal enough and then trying to call them white nationalists, which we know kind of just means Nazi now. So now, I mean, is, could it get more schizosemite than that? Could it get more schizosemitic than that? You're going to cancel the Orthodox Jews for being white nationalists? This is where we're at? Yeah. And, you know, I, I was I was thinking about uh, something uh, tangentially related to this, I guess. Uh, but uh, I the the weird rise of anti-Semitism, but also uh, the, you know, the, the, the fact that the conservatives generally really do you know they're they're zionists right so zionist anti-semitism is such a fascinating just hilarious thing and it actually makes total sense right because the if you if you really want to be a zionist you want the world to be as anti-semitic as possible both in order to like justify like filling the the country with weapons but also justifying all of the jews uh you know escaping from everywhere else in the world to go to israel to uh, yeah. you know push out the palestinians and whatnot uh and and I think that, that that weird paradox that that is actually really politically effective and salient is is one of the funniest uh, forms of uh, of of our current politics. I, I think it's I think it's extremely funny. Mm. I mean, well, with the with the um, with the Christian Zionists, I mean, oh yeah, they them, also just want to. <laughs> yeah, go, they, go have, on. they genuinely believe, and I grew up with these people, and I was told this on more than one occasion. They genuinely believe that once you get a certain number of Jews into Israel, back into Israel, um, that that will trigger the, um, trigger the second coming. Which is funny yeah. to think it's almost like Israel's it's got like a divine scale under it, and once it registers enough um, Jews in the country, that like trips the little Rube Goldberg machine that drops Jesus out of the sky or something. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh... It, it it does make sense for the Jews to have their thumb on the scale, you know. You're canceled. You know what? You're canceled for being an Orthodox Jewish. You, you've been growing that exactly. Orthodox Jewish beard of yours uh, as a dog whistle to other white nationalists, Dorian. <laughs> but is there, are, are there any cool, like, apocaly uh, apocalyptic uh, kind of ideologies at this point in time? Um, or are they all just kind of like, lame weird normie things that have just decided they want the world to end i this is um 
is another point I want to get into, which I think is very <laughs> relevant. Uh, I have my my DSA friend, my good DSA friend, who I don't agree with on much, um, but <laughs> my good DSA friend, he had a really good, really salient point about all of this, which I think is very relevant for us tonight, which is that he was saying that we've gotten to a point where um, no one really believes in the power of reason anymore, left or right. Uh, that's just become such an unpopular idea in and of itself. And even if people can't admit it. And so there's this feeling that like, in order to break the stranglehold of capitalism or modernism or postmodernism or whatever uh, you want to, uh, whatever you think the big baddie out there is, um, there's just this drive to be as irrational as possible. And so all of these, you know, maybe a little different uh, lunatic fringe ideologies and identities uh, and discourses we've been talking about are kind of manifestations of that. This idea that you can have mm. revolutionary irrationality. And the thing is, right. I fully believe you can have a right-wing revolutionary irrationality. Um, I don't really think you can have a left-wing revolutionary irrationality. I don't really think that works. And I think when you try it, um, that's when you end up with Ann Prims and Nazballs and all this other <laughs> goofy stuff. I don't think there's this weird, there's been a weird attempt on the left to, to, um, decouple itself from from rationality because that's too close to the Enlightenment, which is too close to colonialism or something like that. And right. I, I just don't think it works. I think w once you do that, um, you just see you see the the arena to the um, to the right or to the extremely religious. You know, I guess I I do make a distinction between like an ultra rightist and a and a theocrat, but they're obviously not too sure. far apart. Yeah, and and I mean the I, I I think the real trap involved in all that, and and I'm a little bit more optimistic about it, but but from like a uh, a standpoint where I'm not even entirely sure how it would work, but I, I like the idea so much uh, <laughs> behind like left wing rationality. Uh, of course, you know, as a, like a at least a nominal Delizian, of course, I would have to feel that way. Um, but uh, the real trap involved is that. You know, enlightenment rationality tends to lead towards uh, either, you know, something like modernism, and that's really, you know, the only uh, path to something like a, a genuine Marxism uh, or Marxianism at the very least, um, or it leads to, you know, liberalism, right? Uh, you know, that's that's kind of the, the immediate trajectory that it ended up taking. And then irrationality also tends to lead towards, you know, through this individuation and whatnot, uh, to uh, to again liberalism, so it all becomes liberalism, <laughs> and liberalism certainly likes to tend towards the right itself. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I mean, it's I don't know how the fuck you do it either, but uh, rational or irrational, you're going to end up a liberal. Let's talk about everyone's favorite classical liberal, Jordan Peterson, <laughs> who I know he's you're the most rational, irrational person I know. <laughs> I know you're a huge fan of Jordan Peterson. I love him. I've got him here with me, actually. Um, <laughs> is I'm it his horse ghost it. or something? Voice. I could believe that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I have uh, I've injected all of his midichlorians into my body. You know something of all the people who have been, all the celebrities who people have said were were killed and then cloned, the only guy who I'd actually believe it? Oh, Jordan yeah. Peterson. Yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> he was a Russian clone. <laughs> I, um, I mean, one one way or another, he, he his his brain, if not his body, uh, has been turned to liquid and, and reformed in a vat somewhere. So, but I'm actually going to now defend Jordan Peterson. Okay, oh, so all right. the thing about Jordan Peterson is that in his realm, he's right. And what I mean mm -hmm. is, if you are a college professor, and you and I both went to college, I think relatively late. 
I think we were non-traditional yeah. students, right? We were both like in our mid twenties, give or take when we finished college uh, sure. or late twenties. Yeah. Um, and you know, as well as I do, that there's just a lot of spoiled, incredibly stupid kids who go to college and oh, probably God, what yeah. they, probably the message they should hear is some basic self-help and some pull yourself up by your bootstraps, clean your room type of stuff. Um, <laughs> and I don't really sure. think that's wrong at all. And I also think there was this idea in the culture where all of these big brain philosophers give you this um, very elaborate, very sophisticated reasons uh, to be a nihilist. I know that's not necessarily true, but that's kind of how it gets interpreted or taken. Um, uh. So there's this vacuum, this little hole that he could fill where he could be like, well, I'm actually a big brain blowhard and I have all these weird, sophisticated reasons for believing that everything is meaningful. Um, and it's only because, I mean, I brought this up before, but it's only, it's like the people who hate Jordan Peterson uh, intensely and the people who love Jordan Peterson intensely, I always think that they're putting their daddy issues clearly on display. Oh, sure. Sure. But I, you know, we, we could solve so much uh, of that university problem by simply encouraging people to, to um, do the, the risky, scary thing. Just read Nietzsche. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... well, well, but Nietzsche will lead you to Christianity if you're a good Petersonian. Dope. I mean, cool. I mean, do do whatever you want to do with with Nietzsche to to some degree. Like that's, but that's that's kind of the whole the whole point. There is is that you know all all of these different thinkers are going to lead you to either some kind of a like deeply mechanistic view of the world, which leads to some sort of uh, nihilism, or they're going to you know pomo your brain into absolute oblivion, and then you become a nihilist that way. Um, and uh, and you know there's. There, there's a the reason that so many philosophy programs at universities. Well, I mean, there are two reasons really uh, are are so analytically focused. Uh, I I would say is number one, it's easier to monetize if you're going to monetize philosophy at all. Uh, you know, the analytic stuff, at least in the university setting, uh, you can connect it to like the sociology department or whatever the fuck political political science. You can make some kind of math around it. Um, but then the other end of it is simply because of the fact that you you can't uh or or this isn't true but but people believe that you can't uh make fascism out of analytic philosophy you can't make fascism out of math which is exactly what people do uh but uh but it's a lot easier to build fascism out of something like it you know nietzsche in, in continental philosophy that's looking for meaning uh because they they uh to some degree justifiably believe that you know these these newbie little kid university students aren't going to be able to handle the idea of having to make their own meaning. But the thing is that they're going to have to fucking do it eventually. And if you're not going to try to build meaning in your life when you're young and like nothing has quite gelled yet, you're either never going to make meaning or you're going to make some kind of insane meaning when you're, when you're older, all meaning that people are going to make is going to be insane, right? Uh, be it, be it now, be it later, it's going to be religious. It's going to be hyper ideological. It's going to be, you know, some fucking ridiculous, you know, collecting Funko Pops, you know, kind of thing. Any kind of meaning is going to be arbitrary and individualized. And so they want to like force meaning making out of universities, which is why, yeah, we have someone like Jordan Peterson having to pop in because meaning needs to be made. People need to continue with their lives without killing themselves. So you either end up having Jordan Peterson or you have these effective altruist kind of fucks, uh, or you can just have kids read Nietzsche, you know, <laughs> it's... Or literature, well, just just read literature. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, I and I, I wanted to bring up Jordan Peterson, um, Alex Jones, and Joe Rogan because yeah. if if you, because I've been 
listening to Alex Jones, like my older brother was always super into InfoWars and Alex Jones, even when I was like barely, you know, pubescent. So I remember I've been listening to Alex Jones maybe since I was like 12 or something. Um, I remember watching his old, you know, documentaries and stuff when I was like still really young. And, you know, I didn't necessarily believe in them. I didn't necessarily believe in them or take them seriously at all. Um, but I always found him extremely entertaining, and extremely compelling because yeah. he was so marginal. This was like such a weird, sketchy thing to be watching. Um, and then even if you watch like the first 200, maybe even 500, any of the first 200, maybe 500 episodes of the Joe Rogan experience. I mean, it's just a guy in the very early Internet um who has no clue what he's fucking doing and is just like, mm -hmm. you know, like fucking around on extremely low budget. And you just never in a million years would have thought either of these guys are going to become the media giants that they are now. And Isn't when I say right. media giants, I really mean it because they now pull in audiences uh, that are bigger than legacy media. And so now this stuff that was totally marginal when I was a kid and would have just been seen as completely niche and weird and kind of a little circus sideshow that nobody took seriously um is now competing with mainstream media so when we talk about a schizo the new normie like look at how alex jones and joe rogan are two great examples of this and the funny thing is is that yes they get shit wrong all the time you know yes they they're not necessarily like super educated men um, yes to all of these things, yes to all the criticisms of the of these men, but clearly they're able to connect with people in a way mm -hmm. that the mainstream media is literally incapable of doing. Um, yeah. This is the thing. I think the reason why people like Joe Rogan, I think why he's been so successful, is because he knows when to shut the fuck up and he will talk to somebody for four hours and hear them out no matter who they are. And when you look at how most, like, I'm sure I brought this up before, but that interview with Joe Rogan and uh, Alex Jones, where he gets Alex Jones to basically admit that he has brain damage. You just never, nobody else could have ever gotten that interview. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just kind of retarded. Yeah. Nobody else could have ever gotten that interview because you had to talk to Alex Jones for hours to where you finally get into his childhood. Yeah. Um, while getting and, drunk and high and like, yeah, you got to do all the Nobody else ever could have done down. that. Yeah. People give, exactly. people give Joe Rogan shit. They say that he's stupid. They say that his podcast isn't good. I have to respectfully disagree. I think he's much better at interviewing people than he gets credit for because nobody yeah. else would be willing to do that. Um, and, uh, what was I thinking? Um, when you see most interview, other interviews with Alex Jones, the interview is clearly designed to rile him up and piss him off, mm -hmm. um, and to try to get him to lose his temper, which isn't very hard admittedly, but they are, they are, they are gotcha interviews and you would never actually get to the heart of what's actually going on with this man if it wasn't for Joe Rogan. So yeah, that's ultimately, that's ultimately why I think that those guys have done so well in, in the past, I guess, two decades. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I was actually a fan of both of these people in, in years past myself, you know, especially, you know, Alex Jones when I was younger and then, you know, in the, uh, uh, fuck, I'm, I'm not even sure when it would be, but yeah, the early Joe Rogan stuff, you know, I, I was, that was fun. Right. Like I, I liked hearing about comedy and hunting and psychedelics. That's, that was a good way to like, just waste some fucking time and have some fun in the <laughs> background. So, you know, I, I was never against any of that stuff. Um, but, uh, the, yeah, the, the the thing that all three of these uh, people have in common, and I uh, I genuinely mean this in the most um, uh, positive sense, uh, is that they're 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 bullshitters, right? Like uh, at, at least to some degree. And, and and what I mean by that is that they are willing to enter into some kind of uh, you know arena, and then they 
simply say what comes to mind, right? Uh, Peterson pretends to be a little bit more, you know, planned. Um, and, and I think he has become more planned. And, you know, Joe Rogan has developed a little bit more of like a weird ideological kind of basis behind some of his thought, though that's still pretty loose. And it's pretty much just, you know, like your, your dumb older brother. Uh, so, you know, that's pretty, uh, it's not a big deal either per se. And, you know, Alex Jones is still just, you know, he's, he's just purely schizo. All right. But, but all these people, they, they, they walk into uh, some kind of arena without necessarily, I think, having a plan of what they're going to say or what they necessarily think, even while, you know, ideology pervades everything. And then you get to watch them perform this activity of uh, discovering and building meaning, regardless of what that meaning is uh, and whether or not it's actually valuable or, or helpful. Um, you still get to watch them do that. And people are so fucking hungry to, to see something organically form that makes them feel genuine about anything, right? And and you don't see that in the legacy media because the legacy media is either, you know, in the most pessimistic sense, you know, they already have a plan about what they're going to say, the kind of thing that they're going to push, or they're trying to be so hyper-objective, which isn't really the case either, but, you know, on the most optimistic end, they're being hyper-objective, and they're not producing any kind of meaning-making with that either. They're just, you know, spitting out, you know, facts at you and, and, and hoping that you put it together, and, of course, you're going to put it together in the most conspiratorial way, and because they're not saying it, you're going to end up thinking that they're the enemy, because, frankly, they are. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it all, it all boils back down to just the fact that these are three people, whether or not we like them or not, uh, that are are willing to to varying degrees of genuineness seek out and create meaning, right? And and people are terrified of that. People are terrified of any kind of meaning making because they think it's ideological, and of course it is. But the thing that's interesting about it is that it's not dependent on a, a preceding ideological statement. It's the production of new ideology, <laughs> and that terrifies I, people. I, with Peterson, I remember, you know. So I was still when he first like when he first started getting popular, I, I still considered myself leftist. And I remember, you know, some chattering about him and people were talking about him like he was this new um, he, he was this new like ultra right fascist leader right. or something. I'm talking about him like he's the new Evola. And so I'm like, OK. And I remember I mean, this was kind of a red pill for me because I remember watching his old um whatever they were. He had a series of lectures that were from like the early 2000s or late 90s even. Mm -hmm. um, he, he's definitely younger in them. And they're just his classes, his lectures, which I don't mm -hmm. think he's ever deviated from. And they're all just super, super basic self-help yeah. plus Joseph Campbell, Carl Jung stuff. Okay. So he's like a slightly edgier Joseph Campbell, which is like use myths to um, get through your life. And uh, I'm just like, this can't possibly be what people are this upset about. Um, right. So it's an inadvertent red pill because it wasn't like it wasn't like I was like, oh, my God, Jordan Peterson has finally given me meaning. But it was like, <laughs> holy shit, we have bottomed out so much. We've bottomed out so much that this super basic dude who in no other historical era would ever be propelled to this level of celebrity is now yeah. seen as this towering figure, like this fucking literal, this literal column of like the, the capitalist patriarchy or something like that. I don't know. I, that's when I was just like, oh, man, people really have lost their minds. Um, if they're taking it, if they're taking this dude this seriously, 
which yeah. is always been like I've never I just never hated Jordan Peterson I couldn't I didn't see anything in him worth hating the funniest thing about him is that he'll say things about cultural Marxism or he'll say things about Foucault that I just know are obviously wrong and the yeah. funny thing is if he if he just could open up a little bit to postmodernism. The 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 absolute doomsday Jordan Peterson scenario is if he ever actually got into Foucault and and finally figured out that he could use that to critique the left. <laughs> you know, something you know, he could use the idea of bio, right. biopower to his um to his advantage. Then he might actually be onto something. Then he might actually be formidable. Yeah, that, I mean that that's always been the thing that's been frustrating to me about uh, uh, Peterson, even outside of any kind of other you know ideological uh, misalignment. Uh, you know, like the the trans stuff isn't great uh, to to start with, but but the, the the thing that's really fascinated me about him and irritated me about him is the fact that he is so like willingly unrigorous as an academic, right? Uh, and and yet that's the that is both the thing that that holds him back and the thing that gives him his power because if you if you look at any any array of his statements jordan peterson is uh essentially a postmodern extremist right like he is a postmodernist absolutely through and through that there's no way of arguing that he's not uh and he's a postmodernist that is screaming about how terrible postmodernism and then crying about it and so it's the beautiful piece of art essentially because he's he's experiencing the, the despair of postmodernism while he preaches that it is what in fact we're experiencing and then refusing to read any postmodern authors and so he is he's he's developing again the idea ideology of postmodernism uh, both because he lives inside of it and because of the fact that he's trying to you know uh, just uh, again on an optimistic level try to think his way through things you know i think he's a grifter but i don't think that's a hundred percent of who he is or what he says uh and and so it's it's watching this person uh come to terms with the things he hates most in life um uh by by just fighting against it the whole time it's really funny and fascinating and frustrating uh and and kind of evocative um but uh yeah outside of you know what he said about maybe addiction all, all of his um, more academic statements are either so fundamental or or just like so without backing that it's, it's hysterical otherwise. But but the thing is, like, it's him and Alex Jones. They both <clears throat> tap into this idea of the the machine is closing in on us. That <clears throat> these 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 faceless, godless, nihilistic machine is closing in on us, and it's squeezing meaning out of the world. And we just have to use all of our strength and all of our might to believe in the dynamic human spirit again. Um, and it's it's a very romantic view of the world um, yeah. and one that is inadvertently postmodern in a lot of ways. But that is the underlying thing that it's tapping into. And mm -hmm. I think ultimately the reason why, at least with Jones and Peterson, why they got so popular is because yeah. the left kind of seeded that um, that romanticism in a lot of ways. Now, uh, something we talked about before, but now it's the left that seems to care about respectability. It's the left that says you have to believe in science and we need to be adults and we need to blah, blah, blah. Um, we need to uphold middle-class values, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's kind of the, it's interesting to me, even the people who were like the hard leftists, um, borderline primies uh, who were suspicious of, you know, all colonial capital civilization, this sort of thing. A lot of those people were also very into the lockdowns and very into it. All of a sudden, <laughs> they were very, bro. all of a sudden they were very into, uh, into biopower uh, in a way that surprised even me. Um, and 
I guess I'm going to contradict myself a little bit, but they they were they were a little too um, they they were a little too rational, right? Yeah, I, I mean, but again, you know, that's that's the I think I've brought this up at, uh, on on all of these these schizo episodes, at least a couple of them. But there's uh, there's this uh, phenomenon I pointed out last time, certainly, which is uh, science exists uh, in in this weird. Uh, ideological space where it ends up gaining uh, its power, science and rationality in, in general, by by essentially claiming that they don't exist and that they're just ways of describing the world, right? Uh, that there is no actual method or ideology behind this kind of epistemic framework. It current, it, it's it's uh, simply uh, a way of describing what things objectively, absolutely are, and so anything that it says says nothing about the ideology or or system behind it, only about the world. Uh, so it, it gains its power by being invisible or, or by not existing, right? Uh, and I think that that's uh, that, that that's such a, a weird form of uh, kind of left belief uh, is is that it is so obsessed with this kind of uh, statedly rationalistic kind of thinking, you know, science and and and, and, and all of this. Um, but because that's not necessarily how human brains work, right? We're not all necessarily rational. We have an ability towards uh, rationality, whatever that might be. But we're all, we're not purely rational, right? And so you have to constantly remind yourself uh, of the science or of the the stats or whatever. And so it, it it's this weird irrationalist form of rationality where you're constantly just reminding yourself of the orthodoxy. Uh, that's been passed down to you, right? These these are these are stone tablets, um, and whether or not uh, these are stone tablets that you can then sit down with and then logic your way through, and and a lot of it you can. Um, that's not necessarily going to end up happening. And so this form of rationality is, in fact, just on its own a form of deep, you know, uh, 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 authoritarian irrationality. It's just saying this person said it. We know that this way of viewing the world is always true. <laughs> Thereby, it's done. And even when it contradicts itself, it becomes something that they just kind of shrug off, uh, just like it contradictions in any kind of ideology. Right. So I wouldn't call that rationality either. I want to talk about the word normie itself. Um, Let's do it. Because normie, this is one of those now massively overused words. Um, when I was late teens, early 20s, when I heard the word normie, there's only one group of people who used it in one context. And yeah, that yeah. was anybody who was some kind of anarcho-communist, sex-positive, sex-worker, radical, queer uh, continuum, okay? It was anybody, in other words, um, <laughs> anyone who was outside of the far left was a normie. Um, that's the only context I ever heard it in. And I remember probably like 2016, it would have been about, um, I was listening to some alt-right podcast, some weird Pepe shit. Uh, don't remember exactly what it was, but it was some, some proto-alt-right thing. And I heard one of the hosts use the word normie to describe people who weren't far right. And I remember my jaw actually dropped. I was shocked. I was like, you can't do that. Like, what the fuck? You can't culturally appropriate that word from the left. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's <laughs> okay. But that's the transgression of the transgression. It used to be right for a long time. It was if you're far left, you're the weirdo, you're the radical and everybody else is a normie. It's an NPC. Um, and the righty is someone in the right figured out that this is a great way 
uh, to draw a line of delineation between you and your outgroup or whatever. Um, and now that the only context I hear normie in is usually, if not rightist, like conspiracy theory adjacent stuff and, you know, whatever. Um, now I'm guessing people will use normie to describe any outgroup that's not them. They're the normies. Right. Yeah. Um, but not us because we're cool. And then what's funny yeah. is. Oh, go on. What's funny is, this is the last connection I want to make here, um, normie and normalize, normie and normalize. Uh, you hear so much about normalize, 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 normalize. And what I realized about normalize is normalize is the decaffeinated version of transgression <laughs> of the transgression. Like ultimately, that's what no right. normalize is. How can I find a way to transgress? in a way that is not transgressive, in a way that other people immediately accept. Um, but if I've, as I've said in the past three episodes, if our whole pop culture is based on transgression of the transgression, um, you are fucking up the whole pop cultural economy and ecosystem with this normalized discourse. Because pretty soon, what's going to happen is your boss is going to be polyamorous. And your mm. boss is going to be a Bernie bro, but he's globe skeptical. He's not exactly a flat earther, but he's not really convinced outer space exists. And also this whole like no dating at work, that's sort of like a artificial social construct that's just supposed to help capitalism. And even though he's your boss, he's just about normalizing at work polyamory. And uh, that's going to be the future that you normalized. Right. Yeah. Or yeah, whatever I, combination, whatever other combination you can think of, but it will be shit like that. Yeah, no, it, it, exactly. Um, I, I mean, it's, yeah, no, no, you're right. <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was going to point out that my, my experience of, of the word normie was a, a little bit different, but it, it, it absolutely ends up following the same trajectory, uh, which is just that uh, when I was first hearing it, like, I don't know, like, 2008, 2009 or something, it was always in 4chan discourse. Uh, but I, oh. I, I think I think that could point to, to either one of these political extremes, right? Uh, I mean, 4chan is, is definitely known more in the, the popular culture as being you know, kind of right wing, but that's that's really not the case, right? It's, uh, or at least it wasn't then. I, I haven't been on 4chan years, uh, God bless. <laughs> um, but, um, but, you know, it was, it was really just always about transgression in general. And so you're going to find people all over the kind of extreme ends of things. Um, but, uh, I, I do think that the left ended up, uh, picking it up and, and kind of normalizing the word normie a little bit more, uh, before the right ended up really, uh, picking up that banner. Mm. Um, I also want, I also want to say, cause I just admitted to listening to an alt-right podcast, um, <laughs> And I know it'll it'll come up in a junta later. Um, <laughs> it'll come up during whatever whatever happens later. Um, I do want to you know if I'm at the if I'm called to the uh, January sixth hearings um, in ten years from now. Um, I just want to say yes. I listened to a ton of alt right podcasts in like 2016, 2017. And here's what's funny about it: they all they all have the same attitude, all have the same disposition, which is you don't have the guts for this. You don't have the guts uh, for this. You don't have the guts for this red pill. You couldn't handle, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle these red pills, man. You'd never look at this stuff. And what was funny is I was like, okay, fine. I will, I will look at it. Like it's, it's the fucking 21st century and there's just infinite information. All fine. I'll fucking sit down and listen to what you guys have to say. Um, cause you, you keep showing up in my respective meme pages and telling me I don't have the guts to listen to this stuff. And what's funny is if you actually like read Evola or something, what is his grand theory of the world? These people are, it's funny when people talk about like communism could never work or Marxism is impractical. And then you'll read Evola and his whole 
ideology is we need to return to feudalism. We need to right. be pagan feudalists. Um, we need to do whatever it takes. The reason why Hitler failed is because he was a pinko uh, loser. Uh, he was a pinko beta male who um, he 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 was too modern. Uh, he wasn't fascist enough. He wasn't he wasn't <laughs> feudalism pilled, and that's why he failed. And you get to the end of that, and I'm kind of like, I don't know. I think maybe reading some of this stuff is the best cure, and oh, yeah. allowing it to gain this aura of invincibility or mystical power. Because this is the thing, you know. I was thinking about um, I was thinking about uh, what was a fucking movie called Birth of a Nation. <laughs> well we could get into that but uh <laughs> no why well, can't i remember inglorious bastards fuck me inglorious uh, bastards. okay <laughs> slightly where, different films <laughs> where okay quentin tarantino he's doing some coke and he's like i'm gonna kill hitler and i'm gonna kill hitler in an inglorious way i'm gonna have him just get gunned down like a dog in a theater uh before he can even finish his war and i'm gonna have a close-up of him just getting bullets emptied into his body until his face caves in right and i actually think it was iconoclastic because we've turned hitler into this darth vader-esque figure uh right. this like this like incarnation of lucifer where he's this um or he's like palpatine or something and he 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 could always return and he he's filled with dark magic even alex jones recently was like talking about hitler being this dark occultist dark wizard stuff and it's like yeah that is the boomer mythos that he's like this invincible guy um when the funny thing about the nazis is they're actually incredibly incompetent stupid people who made a lot of stupid decisions um and, and that's actually why they fucking lost right <laughs> actually yeah, they... <laughs> they, they, they they were only so powerful because they had tanker chocolate. Yeah, they were. They're only so powerful because they had a lot of meth. Okay. Yeah. Yes, meth heads <laughs> may seem invincible for a while, but once they run out of meth, they're very they fall right away. <laughs> it's not they drop like flies. Okay. You gotta sleep sometime. So whatever this like don't why don't be afraid of any of this shit. It's it's so silly. It's like you go ahead and read it. Because when you get to the end of it, it's usually not very interesting. A lot of this stuff yeah. that these these edge lords, you know, are like you're too afraid to look at, um, is dumb. It's just dumb, and you don't. Yeah, it's not going to magically convert you to their worldview. And I'll just say this, and this will be unpopular uh, as always, <laughs> but there is some horseshoe going on here where I did notice when I was like listening to a lot of these alt right podcasts that they followed a lot of the same psychological patterns as the far left. Mm -hmm. um a lot of the basics are there my favorite is i listened to one i think nick fuentes who's now famous i think he was in this podcast but i remember yeah. listening to it and it devolved into them accusing each other of being um influenced by jewish ideas like you know <laughs> psychology and stuff like that <laughs> and the thing is i remember arguments i remember an argument once at a um a, a leftist poetry reading i was i was at and some people kind of got into it um, and it devolved into them accusing each other of having covert uh, colonizer white supremacist ideology, um, right? So it's like the big, the 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 insidious enemy is always out there. It, it's metaphysically powerful and real, and it's it's influ it's it's secretly infiltrated the the community of believers. And if someone is saying something you don't like, just find a way to um, shoehorn whatever they're saying into. The mouth of the or into the mouth of the devil basically um, right. it's the same type of thinking it's the same type of really petty uh power struggles it's the same type of uh true believerism it's just i guess to bring it back to the point i'm trying to get at or the the, the question we're trying to answer is is schizo the new normie has that become mainstream and i feel like that's just undeniable now 
Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it, it all goes back to this, this thing that I keep swinging back at with this, which is that um, people are struggling desperately to determine, and in fact, sometimes like overdetermine the, the meaning in their lives, right? And, and what's a better way of doing that than being at the absolute avant-garde of everything, that everyone else is a normie, uh, everyone else is is stupid or insane or a colonizer or a Jew or whatever the fuck, depending on your, you know, your, your, your weird, uh, your weird uh, philosophy. Uh, and, and that you get to be the person that sees the pattern. You see the, the matrix code, right? And that's, that's just schizophrenic. It's just, it's, it's gathering up all of the things that other people aren't seeing and putting it together into this mysterious, uh, 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 ideology that that no one could possibly ever see except for you, uh, and uh, and uh, of course that's inherent to to liberalism, right? Uh, just the idea that everyone is an an individual and the world is made of individuals. Like what what else is going to come of that? Uh, it's it's just going to be be people fragmenting more and more, and the norm, uh, the the normative stance. Uh, is going to be to become uh, as unlike everyone else as you possibly can be. But of course, you're going to have to develop groups uh, in order to become uh, not normies and all sorts of things. But yeah, it's just uh, it's uh, a, a culture made of mystery cults. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, QAnon. QAnon is a mystery cult. And I, I was talking to some some computer programmer folks um mm-hmm. recently and this guy was telling me that he thinks that the the future like if you think QAnon is nuts wait until you get like some sophisticated ai chatbots wait until you get an ai oh, chatbot that is hooked up to um uh, that is hooked up to something like midjourney or any of these uh mm-hmm. ai art generators wait until you get an ai chatbot that's hooked up to something like midjourney and can basically automate alex jones so like alex jones obviously he's kind of like the information age oracle of delphi because he just gets a whole printout of every news story and then just will mm-hmm. freestyle it on Infowars. um <laughs> And the funny thing is, is like sometimes we all know that Alex Jones is right mean, but like sometimes I'll say something like, uh, you know, frogs, the, the, the chemicals are turning frogs gay. And then it turns out to be kind of true. And then this sort of vindicates him. Right. But, you know, nobody talks about the time where he said that Russian missiles were inbound and World War Three was imminent. And he scared a bunch of people in Texas. And <laughs> obviously that didn't end up happening. Right. <laughs> nobody remembers that time. Um so whatever you get this confirmation bias but i mean imagine what you could do with like an ai chat bot that can just generate images for people to find meaning in um that has you know secret codes in it and it, it's not hard to it's not hard to imagine how these these mystery cults are going to play out and we just had this guy in san francisco claiming that his chat bot um was was a living thing and when asked to explain why he was like well i studied occultism and it's just a spiritual belief of mine <laughs> but the but the, the faith had already been generated and i could even see like a conspiracy a roswell type conspiracy where it's like no that it really was ai and they're lying to cover it up um because they they don't want people to know the truth about uh ai spirit beings talking to us and, and so on and so forth um which by the way i kind of feel like i'm getting automated out of existence i saw oh, sure I saw somebody post a Taliban futurism meme and it was like, it was generated with mid journey, I think. And it was like little Taliban soldiers in front of like weird Frank Lloyd Wright mosques and, you know, like weird brutalist mosques in, in the Kabul desert. And I was like, who needs schizotopia anymore? Who needs a theory gram? Who needs any of these memes? Cause yeah. now anybody can just type in random goofy ass fucking words in political ideologies and they'll get an image that would have taken me hours to make on Photoshop. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but I, I don't, I don't have a problem with any of this. I think, I think this all rules. <laughs> wow. Somebody's detached I mean, from the detachment, huh? Somebody's yeah, really but, detached from the detachment. <laughs> but, but, but it's actually because I'm like deeply attached to the idea of, of having having a reason to to become even more unproductive right <laughs> <laughs> because that that should be the goal of human beings especially with advanced technology right is to to lay back on your laurels and do stupid bullshit as much as you possibly can afford to it's the only shit that's worth doing is 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 shit that's not worth anything <laughs> or, or, or it's close to that like building bridges sure that's mm. great but eventually you're gonna have a robot to do that for you just just fuck around <laughs> but uh but and, and i of course i i i only mean that to 70 to 80 percent uh but i still mean that right um so when when art, uh, at least uh, you know, uh, representational art is taken over entirely by machines, the way that you know the camera was supposed to do that or whatever the fuck, you're still going to have people making art. It's just going to be art that they actually want to make, right? Or or you know, just just you can apply that to everything. Birds still sing now that we have computers to make music. Who fucking cares? <laughs> like, I, uh, I yeah, I the thing is like I want to agree with you. I want to believe that uh, an automated future um, can be a bright one. It's, oh, it's going to be economically devastating and it's going to kill oh, us all. all right, but, yeah, but, okay. but it's not even necessarily kill us all, but I mean, I can think of fates worse than death. Um, yeah. I can imagine some, I mean, you could be hooked up to some weird media feedback loop that knows how to perfectly generate, you know, nostalgia dreams. I mean, think about how much, oh, think sure. about how much, uh, of the cultural industry today is just nostalgia. Like if you could actually put a percentage on it, what is it? 50%, 60%, sure, 90%. Yeah. I'm not sure. But if you look at like, I don't know, top 10 grossing movies of all time, how many of them now are remakes or reboots or rehashes? of um something from the 80s or 90s or 70s yeah. maybe right uh and I, you know I, I it's not hard for me to imagine some perfect nostalgia simulacra um feedback iv drip brain drip neuro neuro link nostalgia <laughs> feedback brain drip um that is so intoxicating that you'll never escape it and the, the funny thing is i i know i'm getting into infinite jest david foster wallace territory <laughs> but like even he could not have predicted shit being this schizo yeah even he could yeah. not foresee somebody like joe rogan or alex jones being uh, uh a media giant even he could not foresee something like QAnon. his dystopia is fucking wholesome by compared <laughs> to like fucking what we're living in now yeah and you know i i don't think you're wrong about the uh we could call it infinite drip right the the, the infinite nostalgia loop uh but uh but that again is just it's it's just another death of God, right? In, in, in I'm just Nietzsche all all, all yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this this whole evening. Death of God 2.0. Death of God 2.0. Yeah, wow. That's in, a good in, way to put it. in the sense uh, that you know we we really think we're special human beings, and the way that we keep on uh, claiming that we're special is the fact that we're creative and that we're able to do all these 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 ways of. Uh, of kind of building this externalized meaning. But now that computers can do it, and the fact that they'll be able to do it better and better and better, and especially just using our own past or using their own information or whatever the fuck, the fact that the, the real singularity is, is a singularity of culture, 
allows us to escape from that having to be our meaning, right? And, and it allows for genuine creativity, right? It, it, it allows for creativity that is totally meaningless because that's the only kind of creativity that can actually be creative at this point, I'm convinced by, right? Because any kind of creativity that's inherently meaningful is already is already dependent on some kind of ideological coding or some kind of need to get some form of currency, be it likes or, or, or actual money. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, once, once we allow the, the, the god of creativity to die, we can finally start doing something with it. Very postmodern. Very postmodern. I got and that I, from Jordan Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> I, my, my issue is, is that I do still think human beings are special. And if I'm being honest, I still think that I'm special. Sure. Um, and I, well, here's I, your opportunity to prove it. You yes <laughs> who's gonna be the who's gonna be the john henry that can beat the fucking ai okay. um with with some incomprehensible wacky mana meme from heaven um yeah yeah I, is, I mean that's that's one of the reasons where you know so oftentimes when, when i'm talking about these things politically or otherwise that i feel like sometimes i read as being uh uh incomprehensible at the best or you know wishy-washy at the worst is mm -hmm. is that I just think adversity is good for us, <laughs> right? And so mm -hmm. I, I think that that forcing the the wrong thing to happen or just admitting that it will in order to do something about it is is more often than not because you, we generally can't stop bad things from happening or we don't or we won't or we refuse to mm -hmm. that that we just or we want it <laughs> we we, we just. That. That that bad things are going to happen, and then you have to find a good way to respond to it. And 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 I feel like so much of the posturing around this is saying, well, I I can only I can only uh, fight for the future that I want, and not fight for a, a an adequate response to the future that's going to fucking happen. <laughs> you know, uh, and 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 so to some degree, in order to to be prepared for anything to happen you have to be kind of putting your foot onto, uh, onto onto both sides of the line at once. It doesn't mean that you have to be centrist about it. It just means that you have to admit that shit's going to happen and take a little bit of joy in that fact, because what the fuck else are you going to do? I, okay, I agree with you 100%. Adversity is good for us, except the whole, the, the nightmare specter of AI for me, especially AI entertainment, is that it will be... So it, that it'll be the new opium of the masses. Like you it will, it, it'll be, it'll be able to create a perfect simulacra um, double or shadow of every individual that exists. Imagine what it's going to do to porn when you can just like <laughs> fucking like some fucking mind virus that just sits there, latches onto exactly your fucking data trail of every weird thing uh, that you like sexually. And then some algorithmic prediction machine of what you probably would like the most, but can't admit to yourself. And then it generates the perfect fucking porn that gets beamed into your brain um, while you're asleep um, so that you'll never stop buying Soylent Musk or whatever the fuck <laughs> is going to be going on. I, the, the, the nice thing about perfect porn, though, is the fact that uh, it would just save me time because I'm going to jerk off <laughs> as many times in a day as my body allows me to anyway. And so why not just speed up the process? You know, see, it's, it's all accelerationism here. Yeah, I guess the perfect porn is that you just get something hardwired so that you it's just an instant orgasm button. You don't even have to do just, the work of exactly. looking at images. I'm just dripping cum everywhere I go. <laughs> <laughs> we all are. We all are. This isn't. 
This isn't about no. Me. It would be you would get it so perfectly wired that you wouldn't even come anymore. It would just be you just Ooh. get uh, an orgasm, and then, or maybe it makes you feel like you ejaculated, but you don't there actually you ejaculate. Go. Oh, see, yeah, now it's dangerous. Yeah, now you're really you really Blade Runner. Remember, imagine, imagine. Okay, you can get Blade Runner style memories implanted into your brain, and they're like, okay, do you want to like do you want an implant of you like having sex with the hottest woman you've ever seen? And you're like, no, I just want a memory of me jerking off because um, I just don't fit. <laughs> I, I miss I miss being subject to my own balls. Yeah, I just want I just want the memory of there being like cum that's slowly getting colder and colder in my pants. Yeah, God, I don't yeah. want I don't want the actual memory of sex because that's going to be too emotionally involved. Um, yeah, I could see it getting pretty ugly, but I want to get to the root of why I'm mm. still I still see myself as a special snowflake, um, and I blame the boomers as I blame most things on them. Um, I made you watch this documentary called Trainwreck on Netflix, yeah. I believe. Yep. How how did you like it? Tell the people about it. I I, I felt so incredibly triggered by this film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what was it? What was it about? Uh, okay, so the so this is this is a beautiful film about the '99 Woodstock, uh, and uh, it. Um, where, where do you even start with it? Uh, it, it essentially, it, uh, it while discussing a little bit about the failures of the organizers in making sure that this was a safe place for people to, to fuck and get drunk, uh, in, instead, it seems to, or at least this is my, this is, this is what I got out of it. Uh, it, it seems to give all the credit for the fires and the trench foot <laughs> and the rapes and everything like that. It gives, it gives all of the credit to the fact that Fred Durst is kind of a jerk. And uh, yes. I love that. <laughs> um, I, okay. I'm glad you brought up Fred Durst because I plan yeah. on talking about him a lot. So this, yeah, so it was the 30th anniversary. So it, it that alone boggles my mind. It's 30 years between the original Woodstock in 69 and the attempt to recreate Woodstock in 1999. Um, and what was, th th this is what was tripping me out. You get to see these aging hippies, um, these boomers who are now, they got to be like in their 40s at least uh, when this was going mm -hmm. on. Um, you know, even if they're really young in the 60s, I guess they would have, whatever. They're, they're older. And they still believe in the values of the 60s. They see the 60s as this great renaissance. But the thing is, is that a lot of the counterculture and a lot of the hippies and a lot of this, you know, people were smoking weed. They were still a minority in the 60s. Mm -hmm. um, that whole counterculture, it's been idealized and exaggerated. And I feel like a lot of boomers who are actually normies themselves, who maybe smoked weed once or twice or dropped acid once or twice, they kind of idealize that as their halcyon days, their wild days. Uh, they, they, you know, they were in one anti-Vietnam march and then that turns into, I was part of the, the, uh, the revolution or this yeah, sort of thing. Every, right? every, uh, every millennial was at Zuccotti Park. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, so the lore of the 60s has already been exaggerated um, for them and their minds. And I feel like what they don't realize is that a lot of people who are into that stuff were kind of your sensitive, intellectual, bohemian types to begin with. Mm. Um, and what they're seeing when they're trying to create Woodstock 99 is they're seeing how all of these ideas, the sexual revolution, drugs, uh, raging against the machine, right? Being anti-establishment. They're seeing the actual proletarian they're seeing the actual way in which that has been diffused into the proletariat, into the the pop culture, into the middle class, even um, when all of these people show up for Woodstock 99. And 
it's still sex, drugs, rock and roll, but it's sex, drugs, rock and roll in a much more vulgar way. And what kind of mm-hmm. blew my mind a little bit, and this is what's been tripping me out. There's a scene where they talk about Fred Durst and they talk about um, Limp Bizkit. And there's some guys, some kids who are there. What's up? And they're like, yeah, they were just like us, man. They wore, uh, right. uh, they, they wore Osiris's or they wore DC. Like, uh, like a backwards shirt. hat. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were bros, dude. They were like us. They're like skaters, you know? That's That was your average, like... <laughs> Your average dude, your average yob in 1999 looked like Fred Durst. And he, so like, so like Limp Biscuit is like the music of the people, which I had never seen that, like thought of it that way before, <laughs> but it is kind of true. And I started thinking about the song Nookie. Um, and mm-hmm. here's my, here's, anyone is welcome to steal this, but here, here would be my PhD thesis if I was going to do some super wankery PhD <laughs> thesis. I would say Nookie was the conclusion of the sexual revolution in the 20th century. Oh my God. Right. right. I did it all for the nookie. Okay. So you can take that cookie and stick it up your yeah. Like that, that was, that is basically the conclusion of sexual revolution. Uh, and then it's sequels, you know, whether it's like sex positive or sex worker feminism or like manosphere pickup artist stuff, all that stuff that's kind of later developed in the 21st century. Like that would be my line of delineation would be Fred Durst's nookie. There's like the invention of the pill, there's Fred Durst's nookie, and then there's whatever the fuck we're at now. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think, I think that's, I think that's pretty good. Uh, and in the end, yeah, when, when you, when you kind of lay out the uh, uh, sex positivity and, and sex work on one end, and then like the the pickup artists on the other, I think, um, I think that's really. If funny. it's all an economy, if sex well, is no, all an economy, of course, yeah. of course, it, 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 it just makes me, uh, it, it kind of reframed it in my mind in this really funny way, where it's just like you, you have some people selling sex, and then you just have like contingents of people saying. All right. Well, this is how you get it for free. <laughs> yeah, and I think you that's. Did. I've never really thought of it in in those terms, and that's very funny to me. And uh, true. <laughs> I mean, it like instead of cyberpunk, we kind of got sex punk with the whole swipe board <laughs> internet dating stuff. And right. there was a time. Here's another thing that was funny. There was a time where all of those dating apps were free. Um, they're they're you know they were free. They were anonymous, and mm. you know they're all being subsidized because. It was trying to get it to a point where people would accept online dating so that you could start charging them for it again. Right. Um, so there's just this time period where you were actually just putting out this free sex algorithm um, to to try to just basically experimenting, <laughs> guinea pigging people um, and seeing, you know, uh, would they go for it? Would, would, would this turn into um, uh, something that people would actually, would people actually become truly cybersexual? And it worked. Right. Um, but with with this Woodstock 99 shit, it's hard for me not to watch it. And you were talking earlier about how, you know, liberalism actually tends towards authoritarianism. And I immediately thought of what I've been thinking about with this movie, which is that seeing the the cultural difference between 1999 or 69, 99, and then let's just say what, whatever 29 is going to look like, uh, 2029. If you were going to have a Woodstock 2029, what would it be like, right? Um, and you think about, you you can see this steep cultural decline where all of these ideals of rebellion and free love and all of this stuff becomes more and more solipsistic and more and more selfish. And what the documentary tries to do is they try to say, well, they were selling food and water for prices that were too high. And that's why they got pissed off. And I'm sure that was a, a, a contributing factor. But what's crazy to me is that none of these aging boomers want to take any responsibility for what happened at all. I think because they can't accept the fact that this was sort of a monster of their own creation. Um, because what, what's been bothering me is I'm kind of like, 
this is where transgression of the transgression leads. You just get a bunch of really stupid people who misappropriate ideas that they don't understand. It just reverts back to a type of primitivism. Um, and I'm kind of like, okay, am I a reactionary liberal? I don't like Limp Biscuit being the spokesperson of the working class. Or if maybe, or if they are the true, they are a true representation of the working class, then that's bad. <laughs> maybe, then maybe the ideals of the 60s um, were a mistake. And the these boomers, they can't admit it to themselves. They're seeing right in front of their face the, the conclusion of the cultural revolution that they started. And it's ugly and abhorrent to them. And instead of saying, you know what, we created this, it's, oh no, there's just something wrong with these bratty kids. Right. Well, I, I mean, also, also, I think we should consider that the 90s, um, you know, it, into the early 2000s were a period, well, not not too not too far into it, um, but, uh, but but before 9-11, you know, uh, this this was all a period of um, of things being pretty good, uh, at least on a surface level and people being told uh, how good things were and everyone experiencing just this constant ennui about it. Right. Uh, and so I, I think that, uh, I mean, I, I, I do think that you're correct in that this is actually just the natural progression of the like 69 Woodstock and, and all of that being part of this, uh, uh, kind of monstrous mutations of the same kind of thoughts, just in a weirder setting. Um, you know, it, it, it just, it makes total sense to me that if you get that many people into one space, uh, that something like this is going to happen, but also it's, uh, you know, be, be, because everyone is just made of ennui that's directionless, right? I don't know why I'm so miserable and angry. I'm not allowed to to, to feel as if that's the case. Uh, and then finally, they're given some small reason to feel that there's a real reason for that instead of just blaming it on like NSYNC or whatever, right? Uh, though that was still <laughs> happening. Um, but... Uh, that also the, stood out to me that the hating the boy yeah. bands was the original hating soy boys. Yeah, it's so I was like, bad. oh, that's not I, new I either. That's so is funny. It? Yeah, that's been going no. for a while. Um, but the 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 thing that I thought was fascinating about this whole thing was that um, you know they they pretended that Woodstock '99 was about gun violence, right? When they were oh my god, out. I totally forgot about that. I totally forgot about you. Right, right. Yeah, they, they they claimed that this was a response to Columbine and that they were going to gather all these people up uh, as like a, essentially a uh, an astroturfed protest against gun violence. Uh, and it, it of course, well, at least work. that part worked. And then, at least that worked. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they did. The, we, they did end gun violence. At least they did that. Right. And, and but the thing that, that I think is is fascinating about that is that then the documentary is is then positioned to talk about something that was like a genuine problem, just like gun violence is a genuine problem. But the the documentary just tacked onto the end there ends up becoming about like Me Too and and like sexual assault. Um, when you know that was certainly something that occurred uh, during during this festival, and and probably happened uh, uh, far more than it uh, would have otherwise because of you know all sorts of fucked up security measures and things like that. But that that wasn't really the that's not that probably shouldn't be the takeaway either, right? So it's another astroturf meaning yes. onto this entire event. Uh, and I, I think thought that's that was so I, funny. I thought that shit was so lame that they were trying to somehow say that what Woodstock '99 ultimately did was um, show us that sexual assault was wrong. And I'm just like, right. you guys, you guys are real fucking desperate <laughs> to 
because they're talking about there's like straight up orgies going on during the rave um, section of the uh, right. of the festival. And it's like, the thing is, you get a bunch of people who are that fucked up and intoxicated and, and, young. Um, <laughs> and young and stupid. And, you know, you get you get all these bros. Um, who in other in other eras would have been fighting wars and ripping dudes' throats out. Um, you 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 get Fred Durst in front of him and he's telling you to break stuff. I mean, of course, it, it wouldn't be any different today. Is all I'm trying to say. It wouldn't be any different. No. We're still the same Homo sapiens. It wouldn't be if you had something a, a situation like Woodstock '99. Probably the same thing. Um, though I guess maybe our the closest thing we have to Woodstock '99 um, sequel would probably be Fire Festival. And then it's just <laughs> like the festival doesn't even happen because it's all just a social media grift. Um, right. And that's progress of a kind, I guess, because then nobody can get hurt or or molested or raped because the event doesn't even happen because it's it only ever existed in social media. Right. And but but, but another thing with the with the, the sexual assault uh, uh, portion of this. And again, you know, I, I feel like I need to to reiterate that, yes, it it, it is and was a big deal, you know, at, at, at this um, this event and otherwise. But but one of the reasons that they ended up uh, uh, really focusing on that being the moral uh, of the story was that everything else about it, apart from getting trench foot, right, uh, actually seemed pretty fucking cool, I think. <laughs> uh, having having a rave orgy every night and, like, people starting all these fires, like you often see at, like, large concerts and whatnot, just not that big. Um, the fact that everyone's fucking acting like an animal, you know, that all of that just kind of rules. Uh, and so... Like, what are you going to do? And then you end up saying, like, well, some people died. But I, I looked into that because, you know, that's that's also, also the other thing is that do you remember them mentioning anyone dying in the I don't think so. No, don't they don't. They don't mention anyone because there wasn't anything to say there. They just kind of wanted you to think like, well, it was violence. It so like people, people had to have died. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and I looked into it and uh, and three people died. One person got hit oh. by a car leaving the festival. Uh, oh. One person died from a heart attack because they were uh they 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 had actually been at the original um Woodstock uh so they were they were a little up there in age and then they had a fucking heart attack and they were like a, a obese and whatnot it's it's all listed did they have a heart um, okay but did was it like the riots were keeping them from getting medical attention or something like that or is just this no I, all right I mean the, the heat I think was was the big thing yeah. and then like yeah so they were they, they were hot and they were unhealthy and they were old and they died uh and then there was one other person that also, I think, died from a heart attack or or heat stroke or something of the sort. So really, there was there were like maybe one and a half people that died in a way that the venue would have reasonably been uh, like held responsible for. And uh, right, up. And, right, and and so I I just think that that's uh, yeah that that's why they they had to like you know kind of revert this and, and turn it into a different moral because of the fact that everything else that happened at this event yeah. was either pretty benign or actually awesome <laughs> it's, well it's interesting because I, I was thinking it was that nobody died but they just wanted to make you feel like somebody died I, um, I, yeah but actually a version of that the people who died it could have probably been the fault of the venue i mean if you're overheating and you're if, if it's hot as hell outside and you're overcharging people for water uh i i think there's there's some obvious liability there oh sure um, yeah but I, the thing that was pissing me off is i felt like these boomers were trying to act like this is either the that the reason the festival fell apart or turned into what it did was because of a few bad apples, which is funny that they would use that argument um because <laughs> it was one that was used against them right and then also that they, the absolute refusal on their part to see any continuity between 
um, the 60s counterculture and the 90s counterculture. And, you know, once you begin this process of transgression of the transgression, why, how surprised can you be that you handed these kids who've been listening to fucking corn and Rage Against the Machine, <laughs> Limp Biscuit, you hand them candles that are supposed to memorialize <laughs> victims of gun violence and they immediately use those candles to start bonfires and burn the whole place down. Apocalypse yes, of course, of course they did. Of course they did. I yeah, just I by that. by day three, the fact that these boomers still couldn't admit to themselves that this ain't the '60s anymore. This is, but this is the child of the '60s, right? Um, was very illuminating to me, and right, it was it was it it it, it did make me start to think like, am I just like a reactionary liberal? Do I am I just ultimately is it just like you can't give people nice things you can't keep transgressing the transgression because it's just going to turn into a giant rape riot in the end um and there's this thing where you you get older and older and i'm looking at these boomers and they want to keep their cool cards so desperately that they really can't think critically about this and they have to revert to the lamest excuses and lies imaginable to try to cover up uh their own feelings of complicity and i I had a class, a college class that was like literature of the 60s um, or culture of the 60s or whatever. And I just remember the last day of class returning our final papers, this dude who himself was at Woodstock and he showed us a picture of himself at Woodstock. He was our professor. Um, and he said, I, I just want to tell you guys, it, it was our generation. It was the baby boomers that took everything apart and then said, we don't know how to put things back together again. So right. every, everybody started getting divorced and doing drugs all the time and just being the me generation. Uh, and we didn't know how to put things. We didn't know how to put the society that we were revolting against back together. And so we made bike lanes and Whole Foods. Uh, and he said, <laughs> I just want you to know, I'll be grading your papers from uh, my vacation home in Brazil. Have a nice summer. <laughs> and I was like, I was like in the revolution in the anti-boomer uprising. I will kill you last, sir. Uh, your honesty, right. your honesty uh, has earned you has earned you that right. You will be the last person. You will be the last boomer out of a stick on a bike. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's yeah, that's fair. That's but he fair. said he is saying what I want. I was hoping that one of these one of these boomers, one of these organizers, would say something along those lines. At least acknowledge. At least acknowledge oh. their part in it. And not absolutely not. It's all just th these kids are just jerks. It's Fred Durst. It's Fred Durst, and he's a big jerk, and he he made this happen. Um, right. it, it's not, it has nothing to do with us. And what's funny is we've been talking so much about, is this thing, the new schizo, is this thing, the new schizo, is this thing, the new schizo? Well, who is the original schizo? It's gotta be the boomer. I mean, unless you got a better candidate, Dorian. Uh, oh, uh, I mean, yeah, in this, in this cultural sense, I mean, I, I, I suppose, yeah, I suppose it would have to be, uh, especially like in, in the American sense, it would it would have to be the boomer. Um, I'm trying to. I mean, it might be the the flaneur, the, the, the French wanderer uh, kind of person when when modernity <laughs> first kind of started, but but I feel like that's almost a cheating answer. Um, but yeah, in our context, yeah, absolutely the boomer. Fuck them. <laughs> Well, that's the problem is that, and then to be fair, a lot of hatred and a lot of animosity towards boomers. It's, it's like, I say this as a, I say this as someone who sees himself as one of the most stereotypical millennials you could possibly be. I see myself 100% as a millennial poster boy. Could probably do a whole episode on how I am the most millennial millennial <laughs> you could possibly be. Um, 
you know, I feel like a lot of the millennial rage against boomers is because we thought we were going to be them. And in a lot of ways, we tried to be them. And for reasons that were mostly out of our control, it, it didn't work. And it was a colossal failure. And okay. so then it's like, how do you go beyond? I don't want to just hate the boomers forever. How do you go beyond the boomer? Uh, and we don't have, we, we never came up with a good answer for that either. Um, so you're left with... AI porn, I guess. I don't know. I guess that's the conclusion of the of the um <laughs> that's the ultimate transgression of the transgression. You have some AI where you get to have sex with a um astral clone of yourself. I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's um uh yeah, this is this is all just uh, we we have to move beyond millennial and boomer, you know. Uh we we got to we got to Nietzsche pill everyone, man. That's 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 just it. That's uh, just like the boomers were Nietzsche pill. They just didn't want to admit it. Um, it's, it's this hysterical, uh, attempt to produce meaning, uh, from fucking nothing. And, uh, that's both, uh, all you can possibly do. And also the thing that's going to fucking doom you and, and, and ruin your fucking life. Um, uh, because again, that's the, that's, it's the exact same trap that Jordan Peterson is in. Postmodernism actually fucking sucks. Uh, but the more that you're, uh, complaining about it, the more you realize you're in it. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, you can't take things apart without putting them back together. And I guess at least we have bike lanes now and bank well, failures. <laughs> I guess the next Woodstock is going to be in Minecraft, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's going to be in Fortnite, man. <laughs> um, I mean, I I think, I guess that already happened. That's probably just, uh, what's his fucking name? The Astro World guy that killed more people than Woodstock 99. <laughs> oh, I hadn't um, even thought of that. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Uh, I forgot his name. His, oh, uh, Travis Scott. Yeah, I hadn't. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. I forgot all about Astro World and the thing with Astro World. Is it and is it because everybody? Is it because the news cycle is shorter now? And this is going to be a very boomer thing of me to say, but how much of the Astro World tragedy was people, um, looking at their phones? <laughs> I, I mean, mean, really, was it was it did people it's, not it's understand? Possible. Yeah, where people yeah. just like everyone was trying to take selfies and pictures and they were just ignoring cries for help or just not thinking critically about it. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to, uh, I'm, I'm going to hate myself for, for most of what I'm saying uh, here, but I, I went to a, a Kendrick Lamar concert not, not too long ago and uh, down in the pit, every fucking kid, because everyone around me was a child, uh, uh, they were all glued to their fucking phones. Uh, the entire time they were just mm. taking videos and photos of it and I could see like if there was the beginnings of some kind of a crowd crush situation or like someone fell down or something like that uh, they would be dead uh, <laughs> like yeah. no one would notice and and frankly uh, you know no one would care uh, I don't think uh, until until the aftermath of course like that would be a very big deal um, I, I mean it would be interesting if there's a connection there is yeah. like why so the, the, if it has something to do with why these are these shows are getting more deadly or something like that um damn okay i just i guess i just want to say like okay skits of the new normie yes and i guess i can just end this podcast forever yeah i mean uh, good <laughs> what else can i say <laughs> what else can i say i mean fucking yes everyone's fucking lost their mind that's the thesis of this podcast uh the answer is yes and it's way worse than i ever even thought um and i don't like my old boomer professor i have no way of telling you how to put it back together uh um, yeah 
but we 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 should we should be honest with the listener though uh, about uh, about the the new technology that you've started using. Um, this entire podcast was uh, <laughs> written and performed by an AI. Meet more, meet more. <laughs> Plot twist: You've been Shyamalan. Ugh. Awesome. Uh, do, do the kids are the kids even going to know what getting Shyamalan means? No. Oh, what am I going to say the, now? You've been you've been Ryan Johnson. <laughs> there's there's there are like two a twenty four kids that are uh, that are listening to this uh, while playing like a vinyl in the background. They're like, oh, yes, I get a twenty four is real art. It's that CGI crap. It's great. <laughs> also, I can't talk to you. I love A24. I'm a fucking A24. Same. Boy. Yeah. Same. I mean, we're both, we're both art faggots. And, you know, yeah. like, we're not, who are we kidding? I love <laughs> we, sucking up that art. We're, we're absolutely, we're absolutely fucking uh, millennial suits. Um, I guess I just, okay. If, if I could put a bottom line, because this is it. This, this is the last, is the schizo the new. I'm done after this. Uh, yeah, I feel Max like is having me on again. Oh, no, <laughs> we still got plenty to talk about. Well, here's the God thing: like you were saying, once the once the work is over, the real art, the real fun begins. You're, you're um, we right. can just start you're doing podcasts. Right. We can just start doing podcasts where we literally talk about nothing. I mean, it's just <laughs> nothing but fucking goat noises and like, jerking off into the mic and farting. <laughs> and we don't. That's we, we, could, we could start having a podcast about absolutely nothing. I'm fine with that. But yeah. I, if if I there's gonna be some grand conclusions like the boomers were the original schizos, and like some fucking gnostic demiurge, they've given birth to all these weird this 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 culture this cultural machine of transgression of the transgression that just gives birth to all these new microcultures that I guess will just sort of orbit the Amazon Prime social media um, base of society and you will have a, a truly schizophrenic um superstructure that just sort of has evolved and is ever evolving in this really fucked up unhealthy ecosystem uh, uh, around that and i guess i just want to say there's a difference between truth and meaning um mm. and, and people try to equate the two things and that might be the thing that's driving them nuts that they think that like your ability to quantify and your ability and the, the ultimate meaning of something have to be um have to match each other because if you're not doing that you're losing legitimacy um so i think like a lot of schizos out there a lot of weirdos out there a lot of uh conspiracy theory types they're they're still trapped in this idea that like whatever their paranoid visions or fantasies about the world are those have to somehow correspond to something rational that they, they can then use to convert the normies. Um, but maybe what's really going on is something a little more spiritual than that. And that's worth thinking about. Um, so Dorian, where can people find you? You can find me uh, at DankDeleuze on Instagram.com uh, or you can join my fucking workshop uh, that's uh, on Patreon. It's Truncata, T-R-U-N-C-A-T-A. We do an interdisciplinary workshop on uh, all forms of art, especially literature and philosophy. Uh, and uh, we meet one to two times a week. Uh, so go ahead and join that if you want to have uh, some of these discussions with me live uh, to my face. You can tell me I'm a sued uh, to my face um, <laughs> through, through a screen, of course. I don't want you to hit me. Um, but uh, yeah, and otherwise, uh, the podcast I'm on some of the time, the Benzo Rehab Dungeon, if you like the Jordan Peterson talk, we do quite a lot of it over there. Uh, and I would just like to uh, kind of end this with the my own very brief summary, or, or, or rather just a, just one issue that maybe people should consider, which is that um, if you are in fact listening to this podcast, which I assume that you are, 
Um, it, it probably means that like everyone else, you have a relationship uh, to uh, media uh, in that it is your primary or one of your primary modes of meaning discovery and meaning creation. Uh, and uh, that's a trap that we're all stuck in, especially in America. Uh, and the rest of the world has to suffer through it because they have to consume our media. But if if that is your primary mode of meaning making and discovery, uh, then maybe you need to consider a way to uh, escape from that. Uh, and you can't. Uh, so you should just try to find a way to make sense of why that is and what you can do with it. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. God bless. Um, before you go, Dorian, can you just tell us why you did it all for the Nookie? Uh, so I could uh, put a put a cookie up your butt. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. Thank you. Take that cookie.